Welcome to the show. Well, uh, now that you've started it, Mike, you might as well just take it away from here. Um, let me see how you do it. Um, welcome to Three and Out. This is episode 28. We will be covering part two of the free agent signings and some big trades that have happened. One big one that happened a day or two after we recorded last week and one that just happened earlier today. So, so we'll touch on then um top 10 linebackers as well later on in the pod. So a majority of it will be the free agency and taking a look at teams going forward. And then the second part will be the linebackers. So Brett, I'll give you that host spot back. Just wanted, right. wanted to change, change it up for a little bit. I have to applaud you, Mike. You did yourself a, a fine job. I appreciate um, you. So to start things out, obviously we have two massive trades. Um, which one do we want to do first? We'll leave it up to a coin. A is tails. What are you, Harvey Dent dog? Yes. <laughs> Option A is the one that happened two days ago. Option B is the one that happened today. Two days ago? More like a week ago. Oh, more like a week ago. Two days after we recorded the last episode. Here we go. All right, so I guess we're talking about the one today. So, breaking news. Shefty was throwing this one out of absolute left field. Tyree Kill, absolute shocker. Contract negotiations were halted between him and the Kansas City Chiefs. He ends up getting permission to seek a trade. And the two teams that were down to the wire were the Jets and the Dolphins. And at the end of the day, it was the Miami Dolphins that came victorious. They send a heavy draft package to Kansas City in exchange for the star wide receiver. He then signed a deal with Miami that made him the highest paid receiver in NFL history. Wow. I mean, just thinking about the start of this, this now makes the fastest wide receiver duo in the recent era, now Hill and Jalen Waddle, what are your guys' initial reactions when you think of this trade over to the Dolphins? This all happened so quickly. We heard about uh, Kansas City and Tyreek Hill trying to work out a deal for the past few weeks. And then just, what's it, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, rumor came out that uh, – they can't come up with a deal or whatever. They're giving permission to seek a trade. And just like two, not even two, three hours after that report came out, he was already traded to Miami. I, um, I, I've been going back and forth on this. I kind of, I like the trade and I don't. He was such a big part of that Kansas City offense. And there's not a player in the league or a player they can draft this year at least who will make who will fill that void on um the signing of Juju which we'll touch on a little later was i mean beneficial for them but it would have been great to have Tyreek Hill obviously for Miami side um they got they got to his weapon i mean where this will be the prove a year for Tua to see if he's a real deal or not he is uh, Jalen Waddle, second year Jalen Waddle, and now Tyreek Hill for him. Um, 
I'm excited for that. I think that offense is going to be uh, very fun to watch in general. And I'm not um, – we'll talk about two a little later. Let Ben give his initial reactions. A very speedy offense with Raheem Mostert, who just signed uh, a two-year deal, I believe, to be uh, probably a tandem running back with Chase Edmonds and Chase Edmonds, and including Jalen Waddle and Hill in there. They have four uh, skill position players now that have – a run time, a sprint time of under 24 seconds. So it's uh, really high volatile speed down there. Mike McDaniel is going to have so much fun. He already mentioned how much he's going to utilize Jalen Waddle. Now he's got an even faster Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. The amount of wide receiver screens in Miami this year, probably going to be insane. But I'd yep. like to talk about the Kansas City side of things first. <clears throat> and this is this is really this is really tough for Kansas city because a couple years back, they obviously had to lock up Patrick Mahomes and they did it in a big way. They offered him the $500 million deal. And that was the way that you were going to keep the best quarterback in the NFL in Kansas city for not only for now, but for the future as well. So they're kind of paying the dividends. Now it's really tough to say I, it, it's tough for me to swallow this because just watching the Chiefs and their biggest weapon has always been their strike. They can strike at any moment with their offense, and it's because of Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. No one else in the NFL can essentially do that. You can't even say that Rodgers and Adams, when they were a tandem, couldn't just strike for a touchdown at any time at any point in the game. Mahomes and Hill did that multiple times not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs as well. That was their biggest weapon, and now it's gone. Travis Kelsey is still there, but he's 32 years old. He is getting older. He is not showing it, but he is eventually going to show it, unfortunately, uh, because everyone is human except for Tom Brady. Uh, he's shown that. But True. Uh, even though Kelsey's deal going into his age 37 years, so it's like three or four more years, I don't think he's going to be in Kansas City that long, unfortunately. And now their weapons are Juju Smith-Schuster, who really hasn't performed since his sophomore season with Antonio Brown in town. And Mecole Hardman and potentially Marquez Valdez-Gantling, they've been rumors to be interested there. But to be honest, Kansas City, with all the improvements that have been made in their division, it's probably at the case where... There's no solid cap in the NFL for a team to hit. They had $26 million to work now in cap space after the trade. So it would have been closer to the flat line if they had tried to sign Tyreek Hill to the deal that he ended up getting in Miami. If you want to win a championship and you think you have a dynasty on your hands, maybe you think you can win it the Bill Belichick way and just get rid of your number one receivers like they've done and get around a guy like Gronk. But I don't think that's the way the Kansas City Chiefs are built to win. And I don't like the trade. I think that Miami is getting a really good deal. They are giving up multiple picks. But I think this is going to be a deal that works even if, like you hinted at earlier, Mike, to attack of low, it doesn't work. Yeah, I definitely agree. Brett, give your uh, thoughts. I just wanted to touch on Ben's point for a second. No, I was just going to say I agree with Ben. I think... The return from Miami, although it was a big load as far as picks, it's not as daunting as you seem. The as, as it first seems, rather, they only gave up one first round pick for Hill, and the rest were second and third day picks. 
So if you think about it as a whole, the way Miami's built to win right now, these draft picks wouldn't be as big of an impact as Tyreek Hill might be and obviously will be now in this case. So I think they're setting up Tua with the right pieces and the weapons. It's just a matter of can they take the next step now with Mike McDaniel? Right. Ben mentioned uh, Juju uh, Smith-Schuster, and I want to touch on that real quick. In the Chiefs offense, he signed a one-year, ten some $10 million deal with yep, the Chiefs. And I really like this deal because you have uh, Travis Kelsey. You have a Tyreek Hill. So Juju kind of doesn't have any of the pressure on him. He can just be that third option <clears throat> Excuse me, in the Chiefs offense and kind of just do his thing. He has a lot, he might have the most pressure on him in his career right now because everyone has eyes on the Chiefs offense looking at how they're gonna do. Um, some people talking about how uh Patrick Mahomes is gonna regress because of this. I don't think it'll be mu- um anything on his part, but that is such a big, big piece in that Chiefs offense. And Juju is gonna have to um, I mean, as of right now, he's the number one option or the uh number one receiver. Yeah, it almost uh, brings definitely. You, it, it brings you back to almost his, his rookie days. I mean, his second year, I believe Juju was the number one target for Ben Roethlisberger. And then now you flash forward here to Kansas City, and he's the number one again. I mean, Ben talked about a little bit how they're potentially looking to bring in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You have, I believe they brought back to Marcus Robinson. Actually, I lie. He went to Vegas. Um, right. Scratch that from me. Um I'm missing one more receiver. I can't think of him off the top of my head. Miko um, Hardman. Thank you. Miko Hardman. Um, but that's all they have besides them two and Kelsey. Um, so is it worth bringing MVS at this point? Yes. But again, you just have to realize how much pressure is on Juju coming off of an injury. Um, and we'll see where they go from there. I don't know how depthly and ready this Chiefs receiver room is yet. Is it worth bringing up Josh Gordon? No, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, wow. Before we move on, just like to acknowledge our uh, comment section here. That's some lively men- members. We've got uh, one of our usuals, George Hathaway. Thoughts <laughs> on Malcolm Butler? I think it's Malcolm. Uh, two L's in there, but regardless, let's see what his question is. Pat's secondary won't be able to stop some of the threats in the AFC East. We just talked about Tyree Kill and the Dolphins. With Butler, the Pats likely to play zone D instead of man-to-man. Mike, what are your thoughts on uh, George's question right here? Uh, my thoughts on Malcolm Butler, this this is tough. This is tough for the Patriots because okay. I, I believe it is because looking at hoping they bring in, I know Jonathan Jones was on Twitter earlier campaigning to get Stefan Gilmore back in town, which I don't think is likely. Looking at their cornerback room right now, uh, without another free agent besides Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell, besides uh, maybe a first-round corner, which I hope uh, the Patriots, for their sake, can draft in the first round. I don't like this at all. Uh, Malcolm Butler, the signing is fine, but having him play the number one corner is not what you want. You have him and you have Terrence Mitchell, and those are the only two outside guys I trust, and that's that's tough to say. Uh, Jalen Mills proved... Uh, he can't really play outside. He gets very grabby, and that's why Philly moved him to safety. Jonathan Jones is a great slot guy. Don't know how I trust him on the outside. They fill a need 
they definitely fill a need with the signing. It doesn't, it, this is like uh, covering a, this is like putting a bandaid over a bullet hole right here, signing Malcolm Butler onto this uh, secondary because it's, it, it's weird. So, I mean, if, if you bring someone else in to play cornerback one and you have them kind of two or three, cool. Having him as a number one is definitely not the move, especially like George said, with all the threats in the AFC East now. Yeah, my initial thoughts I actually liked it for a second. Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a decent pickup, but like Mike said, it's it's pretty much a temporary solution for a bigger problem you need to fix. Butler, someone that they understand what his ceiling is, what he's able to do, and they know the regressions that he made with Tennessee and Arizona. Um, but regardless, he's still been through the Patriots defense and knows how Belichick likes to work. So I think this signing's a safe deal, but at the same time, you don't know what Malcolm Butler can do after leaving the organization for multiple years. Um, you're losing a big presence on the outside in JC Jackson. So now, like Mike said, you have to rely on Terrence Mitchell and now Malcolm Butler mills, maybe potentially Phillips, maybe potentially, but those are the only two or three guys that you can really trust on cornerbacks. So they've missed out on a lot of opportunities in the market. You had JC Jackson, who you just let walk. You had Mike Hughes who signed with Detroit. So at the end of the day, this is nobody but the Patriots' fault, and now they just have to see what the cards deal. Yep. It's insight there. Just wanted to get some interaction with our comments section here. Also have a new face in there. Hello to Emily Wallace. I guess this is the first time you and George have been hanging out all week, so good for you guys. Um, we'll go over to our next signing here. Going to be another trade, I think, Brett, we're going to be talking about. It is. The big and boy, it, the big boy. This is another massive one. Uh, we missed this one. It was two days after we recorded last week. It was the Friday afternoon. Deshaun Watson. We talked about it in our last podcast, how it was between New Orleans and Atlanta. Carolina was ruled out. Cleveland was ruled out. Well, Friday afternoon, Watson comes out and says, I've had a change of heart. I'm going to waive my no trade clause for the Cleveland Browns. And so Deshaun Watson was traded to the Cleveland Browns. Pardon outside college experience. Um, Deshaun, <laughs> Deshaun Watson was traded to the Browns for multiple picks. He then signed a deal worth $230 million in the caveat Every penny of that contract is guaranteed, making him the highest paid player in recent history. Deshaun Watson, unbelievable news out of the land. I don't even know how what to think of this. Just the initial thought of Watson going back to the idea of Cleveland, then signing this massive deal where it's the most guaranteed money out of any NFL player in history. And now you have to deal with the Baker Mayfield situation, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Let's just break this down inch by inch. What's what's the initial takes here on why Cleveland decided to go after Watson? Not sure how great the inch by inch phrasing there is, Brett, but I guess the first thing is I'll definitely say morals really out of the question here in the NFL. We've got the Kareem Hunt issue. You've got the Tyree Kill issue. We, he just got traded. Pretty much no one bringing up. 
his issues in the past. Uh, you look at baseball, a different sport, MLB, Trevor Bauer has pretty much been blackballed out of the sport and pretty much been pushed aside by his team, the LA Dodgers, for one such case. And Deshaun Watson has 20-plus such cases, and he just got, like you mentioned, the most guaranteed money in NFL history, which is unbelievable to say the least. The player definitely deserves that, but I'm not sure about the person. But talking strictly about the player side of things, Deshaun Watson is a top five talent at the quarterback position. The Cleveland Browns are making a humongous upgrade. The three first rounders, not much of a price when you're getting a top five talent at the quarterback position. So that is phenomenal. He is going to be right up there with uh, Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow in competition of his division. And that's not even mentioning Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mullins. So the young talent remains very high in the AFC while Rodgers and Brady remain the old guard in the NFC. But, yeah, it's a really crazy trade. Uh, My initial thoughts were after the trade first happened, I wasn't sure how much this really moved the bar for Cleveland just because they weren't really quarterback dependent the previous years where they made the playoffs. They've been really able to run the football and really depend on their defense. Plus, their wide receiver weapons or tight end weapons haven't been phenomenal. I guess Amari Cooper and OBJ, at least in my opinion, even each other out. The loss of Jarvis Landry, he's out in free agency. He may return now with Watson in Cleveland, but I don't guarantee that. They lost Austin Hooper in free agency. He moves on. They still have David Njoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones, who is a up-and-coming third-year wide receiver, I believe now, who is really good. He had a real great connection with Baker. But regardless... I think purely just from a football perspective, you can't say much about it. It's a great trade. Uh, You just hope that Deshaun is able to uh, just keep his record straight and able to stay out on the football field and just worry about the game. And hopefully Cleveland makes this really a three uh, team race in the AFC North. Sorry, Brett, the Steelers, Mitchell Trubisky, probably in the basement. Yeah, this is, and I'm glad Ben mentioned it because I was going to say before I said my point, I'm talking strictly Deshaun the player, not the person with the 22 allegations. And you, it's kind of tough not to bring that part up because you have to assume he will be suspended for a certain amount of games to to start the season. He um, cleared all of the uh, criminal charges, but he still has 22 of the civil cases going on so uh when uh bringing up big ben again not in the uh light that we want to when he had his sexual assault allegation on the legacy mike keep it on the legacy yeah he was suspended six games Uh, i was about to bring it up if you didn't so this uh whether he suspended four six eight weeks who knows and they did bring in was it brissette i want to say as their backup so you got to assume Brissett's going to be starting at least a handful of games for Cleveland. Um, talking on now Deshaun in Cleveland. This is huge because like Ben said, he is a top five talent at the position. He was top three, five uh, the year before in 2020, I believe. And they have the defense to do it. Uh, trading for Amari Cooper was huge. And that deal doesn't look so bad anymore with what Tyreek Hill signed. Um But, yeah, I mean, I think this is a great trade, strictly the player, for Cleveland. 
to bring him in at the position. And uh, now let's switch our gears over to the Baker Mayfield situation because Matt Ryan, oh, my fault, I'm getting excited here. Um, if Brett wants to bring that up, Matt Ryan signed or tr- got traded to, I'll let Brett introduce that because I know he likes his little graphics popping up. Really jumping the, jumping the gun here, Mike. Oh, they, they all lead into one another, so. Okay, so are we bringing up Baker Mayfield or are we bringing up Matty Ice? Bring up Matt Ryan first. And all right. Because we'll, Baker Mayfield ties into that. Okay, so this is obviously a, a weird situation that happened um, following Deshaun Watson. We saw Atlanta was one of the front runners. Then all of a sudden Watson said, nope, not happening. Um, and the Falcons were still pretty aggressive on fielding calls for Matt Ryan trades. And eventually the Indianapolis Colts, we mentioned this earlier, were playing smart, holding back the entire offseason, and they were able to strike a deal with the Falcons to get Matt Ryan. They take on his contract, and he will now be the newest quarterback of the Colts. Meanwhile, to complement that deal, the Falcons went out and signed Marcus Mariota, the other backup quarterback that was presumed to be signed as a starter. And so now Arthur Smith will be back with Marcus Mariota, so Matt Ryan to the Colts, Mariota to the Falcons. That now leaves two quarterbacks left that might be looking for jobs that don't have one yet. Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. It, let's just break this down, starting with Matt Ryan. What are our thoughts on Matt Ryan? And then we'll move into Marcus Mariota. I was going to bring this back to Baker just to say, because that was the Colts were his preferred spot. Mm-hmm. And now Matt Ryan got traded there. So he's kind of... Um, up in the air. Matt Ryan. I love this trade. I was actually talking to a, an old friend, um, Brett Shavs, actually, uh, when this happened. And he said, I don't know why they would do this. Um, I think this was a little before it was announced. I don't know why they would trade him. And I said, Atlanta is in such like a bad spot. And they really have no Super Bowl aspirations or even playoff aspirations with uh, Matt Ryan at quarterback. Trade him if he wants to go. Let him be a part of a something a better team, which the Colts are. And he said that he sees them as a contender. So Matt Ryan is now a quarterback for the Colts, which I love. They definitely need another receiving weapon because although uh, Pittman definitely improved this year, who else you got? What are the odds on Julio teams back up in Indy with Matt Ryan? Well, they definitely have the cap space to do it. I wouldn't be surprised. Julio already said he wanted a reunion with Atlanta. Now there's a chance that... What? Wow. Keep going. Can I help you? Uh, Keep going. um, (laughs) uh, So, what was I saying? There's a chance that he goes back to play with Matt Ryan. At the same time, there are a few other guys. If MVS doesn't sign with the Chiefs, he could go to the Colts. You have that option. And then, who knows, maybe Nelson Aguilar gets released in New England. You could scoop him up. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, you saw how great that's working out for New England. (laughs) Well, there's not much left in the receiver market, so I don't don't know what else to say. Um, Well, let me come in here. First of all, as the resident AFC South expert here, being a Titans fan, I'm scared. I'm scared for my life. I'm scared that the division is no longer easy. And I say, you might be saying, Ben, the 
the Colts had Carson Wentz last year. They almost made the playoffs. Yeah. And then they blew both games against the Titans via who? Carson Wentz. And they blew their playoff chances because of who? Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a mistake waiting to happen. Even though he didn't make as many turnovers as you like to think, he made almost all of them in the most important games of the season. Matt Ryan, however, you know, I think Matt Ryan should have been traded again like one or two years ago. I think I said the exact same quote last time. Should have been traded a while back while he still had more value. He still has value left, and I think he probably out of the three between Mayfield, Garoppolo, and Ryan, his fit in Indy makes me the most worried as a Titans fan because I think he can actually work very well. He's worked with limited weapons before. Kind of last year, his only real weapon was Kyle Pitts. He had Calvin Ridley for maybe three or four games, but he wasn't really the Calvin Ridley from 2018 and 2019. He's worked with a tight end heavy system, which Indianapolis runs. He has a better running back than he's ever had in his entire career. I don't think any Atlanta running back comes close to what Jonathan Taylor is doing. And Michael Pittman, and he's got Moali Cox. He's got Jack Doyle. He's got Paris Campbell, who if Paris Campbell can stay healthy, he is a very good number two wide receiver. It just health has been an issue for a couple of years. I believe India's like a few other guys maybe not as notable as the four I just mentioned, but it's a solid receiver room. Like Brett mentioned, if they're able to add one more guy, I think that'd be kind of the creme de la creme, creme de la creme, I should say. Uh, that would just be the fi- final uh, like icing on the cake. But I still think Matt Ryan fits really well. I This is a team that a couple years ago, Philip Rivers on like his deathbed, brought them to the playoffs and they almost won a game against Buffalo. They almost beat Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a team that doesn't really need too much talent at the quarterback position, very similar to what I thought with Cleveland, but Cleveland went all in respect for that. But Matt Ryan is still very serviceable. Atlanta ate a bunch of that contract. So they still have cap space to work around with. I love this deal. And it honestly, after it, maybe probably makes them the favorite in that division, at least in my opinion. Wow. Really? Yeah. I think Tennessee, even though Julio Jones didn't do very much, they lose Julio Jones. They've lost a couple pieces in free agency. I think the concerns about Ryan Tannehill not being able to replicate his 2019, 2020 success is a real concern. And how long can you can like really depend even though it was only for half season that he played, how long can you depend on Derrick Henry, who's a 28-year-old running back, to carry your offense? That really concerns me. If A.J. Brown's able to put put up a full season, maybe I feel more confident in saying that Tennessee can repeat, but he hasn't shown that to me yet, so I would have very little reason to believe that Indy couldn't win the division. That's fair. Um, So... Matt Ryan, obviously, heading to Indianapolis. All great points here. Let's touch on the other side. So Marcus Mariota, who everyone thought would be a starter again in the league, gets a second chance. <laughs> he signs with the Falcons immediately after Matt Ryan was traded to the Colts. I believe it was actually announced before they officially announced the trade. No. If, you at, if you look at their Instagram, I believe that it was announced beforehand the official trade, like, let me explain it. 
So okay. Schefter announced well, the trade. It's okay. Maybe. He signed right right around. Yeah. Um, Long story short, Mariota's a Falcon. Will this work? I don't know. It's a it's an interesting signing. It's definitely an experiment. But again, I think it's a short term solution for Atlanta until they can draft or sign another quarterback in their future. Who knows what they could do, but based on the signing that they're given here, it looks like drafting a quarterback is what they're going to be doing eventually. Oh, very interesting. Similar to Washington. Could have drafted a quarterback last year. They had the fourth overall pick, and uh, they drafted a tight end. And now they're going to probably be drafting a quarterback. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah, that's but tough. Marcus Mariota, the only thing going for him in Atlanta is that he's got his former offensive coordinator as a head coach. Arthur Smith is familiar with him, even though he was only there for a limited time before Tannehill took over. That's something to look forward to, but I'm not going to put too much uh, investment into what Mariota does. I'd rather see him in a better system, to be honest, to really evaluate uh, what his ceiling could be. But maybe this is similar to what Trubisky did uh, this past couple of years where uh, he kind of lost a job with the Bears and then took a backup job for the Bills and then finally got a real opportunity, hopefully, knock on wood, with the Steelers this year. Uh, hopefully Marcus gets the same because I think he's a very talented quarterback. And from everything that I've seen from the Tennessee days, he's a great leader in the clubhouse. So, Yeah, I think the only reason they were so adamant on bringing him in is because of the Arthur Smith connection. Any quarterback you bring into the system at this point, you're kind of setting up for failure. You don't have anyone outside of Kyle Pitts and Cordero. I know Brett, Brett would come at me for not mentioning him. But the the offensive line is, eh, they have decent pieces. It's not the greatest. The defense is pretty atrocious outside of um, even Grady Jarrett's been kind of iffy. Deion Jones and A.J. Terrell is kind of like that lone bright spot uh, he was this past season in that defense. So the Mariota signing is fine. I just don't think there would be a quarterback that could really move the needle much outside of him for the Atlanta Falcons. The one, the quarterback signing I do like is the other division or no, the same division, the other team, the Jameis Winston signing. I really, really love that signing two year, what? 24 mil, Mm -hmm. something around there. The saints re-signed, uh, Jameis Winston after losing out on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And I love this because I have been uh, the biggest Jameis Winston truther these past few years. And he looked he looked real good last year before the, the big injury knock came out for the rest of the year. He had played, what, eight games, seven games? Small sample size, but he looked really good. Definitely improved from his uh, turnover happy days with the Bucks, But... Uh, yeah, I do do like that signing. And there's one team left that needs a quarterback in that division. So we'll see what happens with them. It's interesting you bring up the Jameis point. I was such a voucher for Jameis going back to New Orleans. I think the fit's perfect. It's just a matter of how will New Orleans carry out his development in the system with Dennis Allen. I still like the fit. I think Jameis is going to be a big factor in developing this next generation of receivers in the Saints system. 
you have to think they're going to be drafting a receiver in this class first round. Right where they're positioned, it's probably going to be about Chris Olave, Traylon Burke, somewhere in that area. Yep. Um, but again, I love the deal uh, with Jameis Winston. You just have to wonder, can he stay healthy? I think he will. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. Let's move on. Next topic, we're talking about an offensive lineman, arguably the best free agent in the class. Teron Armstead signed a five-year, $75 million deal with the Dolphins, bringing them back up after Tyreek Hill. Monster deal here for Teron Armstead. He now goes to the Dolphins, who have brought in a, a couple of pieces to the offensive line to really help out to a tongue of Iloa. I think this is another massive get for Miami. It, Based on where the cap hit is, it's not too crucial to take on him and Tyreek Hill. Um, I think that was the biggest question a lot of people had when Hill was initially traded. How are they going to factor in him, Teron Arnstead, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, all these guys? It works. Um, and I think this is going to be a crucial part in the way Mike McDaniels runs the offense too. Like Ben mentioned, a lot of wide receiver screens. You're going to see a little bit of wide back play from Jalen Waddle. Um, but at the end of the day, they get the top free agent off the board and Miami strikes again. Yeah, I really like this deal. I think it's really important for them to build around Tua just because we've seen over the past couple of years, there are limitations to his gameplay. Maybe it is because of maybe some limitations injury-wise that we're not aware of just because he has dealt with a couple things. But adding Tyreek Hill, adding the best offensive lineman on the board, like you mentioned, in Toronto Armstead, Jalen Waddell is – Obviously a great piece from what we saw in his rookie season. He was phenomenal. Don't forget the additions that they made, like I mentioned earlier, at running back with Raheem Mostert and with Chase Edmonds. Edmonds, a great pass catching back for the past couple of years under Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. And Raheem Mostert, when he's been healthy for San Francisco, has been super efficient, running close to like four and a half uh, yards per carry in that San Francisco offense, which – had a good old line for a while, so saw that success. So really, the weapons are there. It's just you have to see what two is able to do with them. Hopefully, he's really set up for not set up for failure. That's usually the, the line, but he's not set up for failure. He's set up for success. He just has to utilize it in the right way. It's going to be really interesting to see because I think it's a really easy narrative just to give, especially in the AFC with so many great quarterbacks being added, not only in the AFC West, but the addition of Watson now to the Browns, just giving the playoff spots to teams with great quarterbacks. Miami and their division mate, New England, are probably going to be the two that have probably the weakest quarterbacks of all the contenders that are going to be fighting for playoff spots. It's really interesting how they're going to fight against these more high-level quarterback teams and how they're able to really go against them. It's just interesting matchups, to say the least. Great signing here for Miami to bring in Teron Armstead. Now they have a somewhat uh, solid offensive line. You have Teron Armstead, uh, Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame last year will probably play them as the two bookend tackles. Uh, bringing in Connor Williams from Dallas. He was kind of iffy last year, but he's definitely an improvement over what Miami had uh, this past season. Robert Hunt going into his 
third year. He was the same uh, year as Austin Jackson, who did play tackle, didn't really uh, work out how they wanted. He was one of the one of the three draft picks they had in 2020, I believe, um, along with Noah Ibnogany, the cornerback. We don't talk about that. Or the Austin Jackson pick. But Austin Jackson now uh, kind of has the freedom to be kicked inside if needed to play a uh, guard, which that's what we love to see tackles do. When they can't hold their own at the tackle spot, we kick them inside to guard. So with Teron Armstead, Liam Eikenberg on either side, then you have Robert Hunt. I think they're putting together, like Ben said, they are setting Tua up uh, for success. And I think uh, Mike McDaniel is doing a great job getting the offense together and putting Tua in the best position uh, to win and trading for the number one offensive lineman, uh, top two, maybe top number one uh, free agent this year, trading for Tyreek Hill. All this just shows how much faith they have in Tua, uh, setting him up for the future. Yeah, we talk about the initial thoughts um, at the beginning of last offseason. You know, Deshaun Watson, where is he going to go? Miami's the front runner. Starting to speculate thoughts and how Tua was going to factor into their future. And here we are a year later, and they are all in on Tua Tungavailoa. Their defense, too, is not showing any signs of slowing down. Zayvon Howard leading that pack. I have no complaints out of Miami. This is so far being set up for success. The only thing that's in their way is the ownership situation right now and what could happen there. Um, but that's a rabbit hole we will not go down in this episode. Um, so we'll move on and go to the West Coast. Allen Robinson. We talked about this one um, on the side a little bit earlier this week. Signs a three-year deal worth $30 million with the Rams. This now factors in a very strange wide receiver situation in L.A. You now have Cooper Cup. You now have Odell Beckham, who they might bring back. And now you bring in a guy in Allen Robinson. And this is the factor that you need to think about was it about Allen Robinson or was it the distrust in Robert Woods who knows, but Robert Woods is now a Titan. We'll get into that in a few minutes. At the end of the day, Allen Robinson is now an LA Ram. He now brings in a factor that you could argue the Rams have a chance to have three Former and potentially now number one receivers, Allen Robinson, obviously the number one former in Jacksonville and Chicago. You had Odell, who was the number one in the Giants and a little bit of time in Cleveland. And you have Cooper Cup, who's their number one right now. So you have a chance to have three number one type receivers in L.A. Take that with a grain of salt. But with me, that sounds like a pretty talented wide receiver room. And now they move into the next step of maybe even bringing another Super Bowl for the Rams. I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Is it me or would bringing Odell back kind of be, you know, like I don't think the need for another receiver, uh, despite him being so good in this offense, I don't think there's a need for him because you brought in, you know you what you have in Cooper Cup, obviously. Um, you bring in Allen Robinson, who is a, was a top 10 receiver in my mind um, the season four last. And then you also have Van Jefferson. I don't really see a need for Odell 
um, in this offense. I think there are needs on the defensive side of the ball more. You lost your uh, defensive tackle, Sebastian Joseph Day. You lost your number two corner in Darius Williams. That's I think it's being a little um, – when people are talking about the Rams and their strengths, people are or their weaknesses actually, which they don't have many. People are uh, forgetting. In fact, Darius Williams signed with Jacksonville. They don't really have any other uh, solidified corner outside of uh, Jalen Ramsey, so I think uh, that's a big need. I would, I would put the money on the defensive side of the ball over bringing Odell back. Personally, I get that. I think that. The only like case to be made against what you're saying is look at Odell coming to the Rams last year. They had three perfectly fine wide receivers. They brought in Odell, and maybe ironically enough, Robert Woods got injured right the same week. It was yeah. it was very ironic, I guess, but it happened in the same way that I guess the Rams are kind of worried right now. Cooper Cup is a player that, unfortunately enough to say it, he has an injury history, and it's pretty notorious. He's 29 years old. He's not getting any younger. And even though he's coming off a great season and everything, that's a large workload. And he went deep into the playoffs, went to a Super Bowl. So he has that playoff uh, experience and playoff uh, longevity on him now as well. So signing Allen Robinson, who really didn't play much last year, he – uh, dealt with a few small lingering injuries, but it was mainly just because his discrepancies with the contract situation that Chicago gave him. He was sitting out mainly because of that and just overall unhappiness. Um, but Allen Robinson's going to be a very solid wide receiver. I love the contract. He is one of my favorite players in the league. He does somewhat fill, ironically enough, even though he may seem like a different wide receiver than Odell, just off thinking about it. He is actually kind of similar to him. He's a reception-based receiver. He gets a ton of those, and he's a great red zone threat. He was Mitchell Trubisky's favorite red zone threat. He was He's a great 5- to 10-yard catch guy. He's a great one-on-one -on -one guy. That's probably his biggest strong suit, which is very similar to Odell. So in the case that Odell, he's probably going to miss the majority of the 2022-2023 season. If they do bring him back, I don't think it will be – counterintuitive but I do understand and I'd probably in the end agree with you that uh, the defense is more needing but while I go in circles here to answer your question Mike no I don't think the Odell signing would be uh, pointless or meaningless I guess All right so let's now move on so we talked about Odell and the factors there move to the other side now Bobby Trees, Robert Woods, is a Titan now. They got him for a sixth-round pick. So now instead of Julio Jones in the Tennessee offense with A.J. Brown, it is A.J. Brown and Bobby Trees. I'll go to the residing Titans expert here. Ben, how does this Robert Woods trade uh, benefit Ryan Tannehill and the Titans offense? I love it. I they, In my experience over the past like three or four years, they haven't had a receiver like Woods who's able to do short runs. They've tried it with A.J. Brown, and it's been very experimental. It doesn't usually work out. They've honestly eventually done it with like some of their second and third string running backs for those types of like receiver runs or screens. But Woods is a really great player. He's been a solid number two receiver for L.A. for a while. 
And even though he's coming off a major injury, he's shown a lot of dependency previously to that. He's been arguably the most important piece for the Rams previous to this year with Cooper Cup's amazing season. He was their most dependable receiver. He was really phenomenal. And that was with an offense that had Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup on it. So it says a lot about Woods, but I don't know. It's it's a little bit risky, but at the same time, like I mentioned, he's shown dependency. He's shown that resilience. And we're only trading a six-rounder, so it's only so much that you can expect from giving up that little, but he's going to fill in for Julio Jones, going to do more than Julio Jones because Julio Jones did not do very much uh, in a Titans uniform, unfortunately enough. So that's the long and short of it. Right. I, I really do love the trade, especially knowing the <clears throat> the Titans only gave up a sixth for him. And I think Robert Woods fits so well because he he's used to kind of taking that backseat, taking that number two role. Um, so he let AJ Brown shine, but he also he also does his thing and he does it at a very, very efficient rate, like we have seen for the number of past few years with the Rams. So I think this honestly a no-brainer trade. Give us six, then you get Robert Woods back. You got to do it for Tennessee. Yeah, and certainly a big point there. And I like the point that Ben made too with the short runs and the route. Robert Woods is so lethal as a guy that can create space, work up the middle, and really gain those valuable yards. And it allows Tennessee to really open up the playbook a little bit and expand on uh, Tannehill's abilities right now. Because we've seen in the past that you know Tannehill can't really work the ball downfield on a consistent and efficient basis. And now they sort of give them that healthy balance between AJ Brown and Robert Woods. So we'll see where things go from there. Transitioning a little bit, Mike, this one is strictly for you, my friend. Defensive side of the ball, Minnesota Vikings and Zadarius Smith. This is our last signing. We'll talk about before we jump into our next topic. A three-year deal worth $42 million. Zadarius Smith now joins a Vikings linebacker core that includes himself, Eric Hendricks, Daniil Hunter, and maybe Anthony Barr if they bring him back in free agency. Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks, thank you. Thank you very much for that one as well. But You're wow. so welcome. What a linebacking core that Minnesota is putting together. They were able to draw Zadarius Smith away from Baltimore his initial team, and then he drew back, and now he is going to Minnesota. Mike, what are your thoughts on the Vikings signing here, and what do you think they're sort of building as a defensive scheme here? I love this signing. Um, in my opinion, uh, for, since that signing, I was like, could this be the best linebacker core in the league? And I haven't put much thought into thinking about all the other linebacker cores in the league, but they're for sure up there now. With this signing, him and Zadarius both rushing the passer. Uh, you bring in Harrison Phillips from uh, Buffalo, I believe. Still got snacks as the nose um, on that defense. Love the front seven. The issue uh, with Minnesota in general, I love, I honestly love their team. They have a very underrated team. Kirk Cousins is solid. He gets it done. You know what the receivers do. You know, Dalvin Cook does his thing. Front seven's great. The back end of that defense is where is where it gets really tricky. Uh, the cornerbacks are super tough, so they they picked 12th, I believe, in the draft. Need to take a cornerback at 12. 
The only guy you have in that secondary is Harrison Smith, and he's not getting any younger. Um, Zadarius Smith uh, will be great. He didn't play. I don't believe he played at all this season in Green Bay. And this feels like kind of a um, signing with Minnesota out of spite just to go to a division rival. That's what it kind of feels like. Um, But nonetheless, a very, very good pickup from Minnesota, and I think uh, he will shine alongside Daniel Hunter on that defense. Yeah, good point, Mike. And so we mentioned this. Injury-prone pass rushers, uh, just to point out, both have dealt with a number of injury uh, issues, which is tricky. You both get them healthy, though, and they're they're rolling, though. So you love to see it. Yeah, if they're healthy, that's that's the big question. I mean, Hunter's dealt with injuries. You've had Griffin, who's dealt with injuries, but I don't know. We'll see. Dealt with a lot more than injuries, dog. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> that was such a horrible transition. <laughs> Linebackers. Yes, top 10 NFL linebackers. We teased it in the previous episode. It's now coming to fruition here. Let's get right into this. Who wants to start? I'm leaving it up to you two. Mike, all right, you go ahead, Mike. Um, Top 10 linebackers, defensive side of the ball. It's so great. We love this. Uh, we haven't done this in like a week or in like two weeks. So just to mention again, these lists are uh, previewing uh, going into this next season. These aren't um, recapping this previous season. So going into 2022, these are our top 10 linebackers. Um, linebackers, in my opinion, m- might be the toughest to rank just because out of all the positions, the linebackers, they do so much depending on what team they're on. Uh, whether they go out in coverage, whether they rush a pass, or whether they zone in the middle. It's super tough to rank these guys specifically. Uh, Number 10, I'm starting off with the young guy going into his third season, uh, Isaiah Simmons. Um, Isaiah Simmons was drafted as a strong safety, but really a do-it-all guy on the defensive side. And he kind of found his home um, in the Cardinals uh, linebacking core. Uh, he plays uh, inside linebacker alongside Zayn Collins, who they drafted in the first round this previous year. Releasing um, Jordan Hicks uh, really gave him the keys uh, to that uh, linebacking court. And he put up some great, great numbers over 100 tackles, four tackles for loss, four forced fumbles, and seven pass deflections. He's big, 6'4". Um, and he he, re- he really just uh, does everything. He plays uh, um, corner. Safety, he's good at strong safety, obviously, which we know. Um, linebacker, which is kind of his main position, also rushes off the edge. A do-it-all guy on the defensive side of the ball. Isaiah Simmons is my number 10. Ben? Thanks there. Bredethin. So I will be going <laughs> with uh, one of the veterans, one of the many veterans on this list. Uh, for those that don't know, offense is more my expertise, so... I had to converse a little bit with Mike, but I think I've got a solid list going on. But if you want some real value, check out his. But I got Eric Kendricks at number 10 for the Minnesota Vikings, a very good player. And uh, heading into his age 30 season, he's been pretty solid. He's been one of the main contributors, along with Harrison Smith, on that Minnesota defense. A little bit of a concern with Harrison Smith, or not Harrison Smith, that's his running mate. Uh, Eric Hendricks is just his inability to stay on the field for a full season. He's missed a combined 
uh, nine games over the past three seasons. So it's probably been a little bit concerning if you're a Minnesota fan. He's been two years taken away from his last Pro Bowl year, which was his last All-Pro year. He's still a very good player and still presents a lot of talent. Has a big contract as well, so hopefully he can be one of the big vaunting uh, players on that Minnesota defense to go along with the new weapons that they present on the offense. Maybe he can even win a division title this year with Devontae Adams out of Green Bay. So I have Eric Kendricks at number 10. Good choice, Ben. So I will jump into my number 10 and my number nine. Starting off for me, number 10, I have Devondre Campbell uh, from the Green Bay Packers. Devondre Campbell for me is someone that gets overlooked a lot of the times, but has really stepped into his own role in the Packers this year, especially with Zadarius Smith being out. You had guys that he can mix and match with on the defensive line, so... He finished off with a solid stat line. He had 102 solo tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, had one recovery. That's some, that's some solid stats for a guy that has really not had too many years of dominance, but stepped up this year and showed what he can do under Coach LaFleur and the defensive side of the football. So Devondre Campbell for me is my number nine, and then number number 10, rather. And then number nine, as you saw on the bottom of your screen, is Roquan Smith from the Chicago Bears. Again, a guy that started out in Chicago is very quiet, a high pick in the draft class that he was taken. I believe it was 2017. Um, 18. 18, thank you. And Roquan Smith. Don't me. You know what? We'll take a look. We'll verify this. I think it was 18. That was a Baker Mayfield year, right? Yeah. He was a Baker Mayfield year. 2018, yep. Um, so Roquan Smith is someone that has really been violent on the football. And we've seen this a lot in a pattern with Chicago linebackers. Um, Robert Quinn, more of an outside linebacker, but still violent on the football. You had Danny Trevathan, who they brought in. So violent in Denver, carried it over to Chicago. Then you have a guy like Roquan Smith who comes in and does the same sort of thing. He worked really well under Matt Nagy. He fits well into the scheme, and he's able to work on a consistent basis and he's been healthy. That's the big thing that is an upside here for this guy. And so I have him at number nine. So Devondre Campbell and then Roquan Smith. It, we can go into my number nine here. And that's Levante David, first of potentially two of his uh, Buccaneers teammates here on the list. But Levante David, uh, age 32 season, missed uh, a few games this past season, missed five. So probably or actually is uh, he had played two full seasons previous to this. So this is his first injury prone year, um, but can't really call it injury prone. He's been one of the more dependable uh, players on the Tampa Bay defense since he made his debut initially in 2012. He's been phenomenal. He's coming off an all pro two uh, season as well in 2020. He's a very good player. Just wondering if he's outshadowed by one of his uh, fellow linebackers down in Tampa, but still a very good player. And Levante David, even though he's in his age 32 season, getting it up there in age, he's still providing the numbers when he's healthy and on the field. He's uh, only th- 63 uh, solo tackles in 12 games and two forced fumbles. So some solid numbers, but can still take the uh, next jump forward with a full healthy season upcoming in 2022. So I have him at number nine. 
Uh, we're going to head northeast for mine. Uh, my number nine is Tremaine Edmonds, Bills linebacker. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds uh, falls onto it was it was difficult to pick between him and Matt Milano because they have such a great uh, linebacker duo with those two. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds gets the nod for me just simply uh, due to the fact um, stats, uh, age. He's twenty three, going into his fifth season. Uh, he was one of the youngest players drafted. I think he was nineteen or twenty, uh, coming out in twenty eighteen. Um, his, <clears throat> his brother, who uh, was drafted later in the first round, shouldn't have been a first rounder, but we want to talk about that. Terrell, um, no, but Tremaine Edmonds. Um, I mean, what is there that what is there more to be said about him? Twenty three, twenty four years old. Um, he he just plays plays with um plays with aggression, plays with pursuit, and he just when you watch that Bills defense, he seems like one of the leaders. Um, despite his age, I keep bringing up his age, and it's wild to me because of him going into his uh, fifth year at um, how young he is. One of the mainstays on that defensive side, um, and when they kind of go through their um, inflection of youth on the defensive line, he'll be one of those uh, guys to kind of. Um, lead them in. So Tremaine Edmonds is my number nine. Um, I guess we'll hit number eight, uh, Levante David. Originally, when I made my first top 10, I made probably like five different lists. At first, I didn't have Levante David on my list at all. That kind of felt like like a crime. Um, you can't leave Levante David off the list. Levante David has been so consistent, like Ben has mentioned these past few years, not only in play, but in um, playing full season, staying healthy besides this past year. Um, he is getting up there in age, but his the level of consistency um, he plays with is something uh, to be admired by. And I think this is uh, definitely helps uh, Devin White, who is going into his fourth season, I believe. Um, great linebacker duo down in Tampa, Levante David at number eight for me. Yeah, going with another new face, uh, hasn't been mentioned on the list. I have Demario Davis at number eight, uh, coming off of three straight uh, listings on the All-Pro team as a linebacker. He's been a phenomenal player. He's been arguably the second-best player on that Saints defense for a few years now, and the All-Pro's numbers kind of say that. He really hasn't missed a game, or actually hasn't missed a game since uh, 2016, so he's providing the best ability and that is availability. He's been phenomenal down there and still provides a Saints defense. And unfortunately it won't be with Sean Payton anymore, but hopefully they can still provide the uh, defense that they have shown over the past few years. It's been really vaunted and Demario Davis is a key part of that. He's provided great numbers, uh, 70 solo tackles and three sacks on the season. So pretty solid numbers from the linebacker position. And even though he is, getting up there in age. He's still providing great value similar to the two players I mentioned previously on my list. So he's still up there at number eight. Yeah, good one there, Ben. Um, I will take over for eight and then start seven here. So I will start with number eight. And that is Devin White from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I really like Devin White. He's someone for me that is able to come in right off of his rookie season in LSU and make an impact. He pairs nicely with Levante David. And the thing that stands out for me to most, and we alluded to this just a little bit ago, he's available at the right times. 
and he's able to step in on that Super Bowl team with Shaq Barrett, Levante David, and make an impact. He may not be as consistent, I'd say, as Levante David, but he provides more of power, more violence, a lot more of that sudden, what's the description I'm looking for? The burst of energy. Um, and he's able to come in at the right time. So for me, that's why I put Devin White at number eight. And then number seven for me was Eric Kendricks from the Minnesota Vikings. I was sort of toggling back and forth where to put Eric Kendricks. He's been high. He's been low. But at the end of the day, I've sort of reached the point where I kind of see him on this plateau where he's kind of, I don't want to say he's hit his ceiling, but he's close to it, and you understand where you're getting out of Kendricks. And to me, it's about where I put him on this list. Still highly consistent, don't get me wrong, but I still don't see him on that high level as some of the other linebackers we're going to mention later. So at number seven, I have Eric Kendricks. Yeah, kind of getting away from the old group that I have at eight through ten. I've got a young player here at number seven, uh, Devin White. Devin White is probably the face, if if not one of the faces of the Tampa Bay defense, he's been a phenomenal player since he came up in 2019. It's his first Pro Bowl selection this past year. And even though he wasn't selected on the All-Pro team, he's still a very solid season. It might be a little bit of a downtick despite, despite uh, making the Pro Bowl this year, but still very solid numbers, 87 solo tackles, three and a half sacks. He is probably the most explosive player on that defense, just with Shaq Barrett. Kind of taking a step back this past year, but Devin White is still a phenomenal player. He adds just that explosive nature on the Tampa Bay defense, and he's one of the reasons that even without Tom Brady, which Brady is returning, you thought that the Bucs could have a solid chance with another quarterback under center. But with Brady returning, Devin White still provides another threat on the other side of the ball uh, just to back up Brady in the offense. So Devin White, a very solid player, only at age 24 still as well. So he's got a lot of a uh, lot left in his career, hopefully. And he's at my number seven spot. My number seven, you guys have both mentioned already, is Eric Hendricks. Um, just a note on top of what else you guys have said. Eric Hendricks, um, going into his uh, age 30 or 31 season, like Ben mentioned, a great, great coverage linebacker. And I think that's where his strong suit definitely lies. Um, run defense isn't the greatest he is he isn't really i don't know what happened there he isn't really asked to pass rush much at all um but he's one of the best coverage linebackers in my opinion and that definitely helps uh, minnesota out especially moving forward um with their lack of uh cornerbacks i know you're not gonna really ask a linebacker to drop into coverage a lot um but just on to uh big tight ends and stuff you know he can hold his own Eric Hendricks at seven and to jump into number six, I have another one that has been mentioned. Devin white, Devin white had a down season. Um, you could call in comparison to his 2020 year, the year they won the super bowl. Um, I think he's definitely going to bounce back from it though. And him being so young is a reason why I have him at number six on this list above some guys that you really wouldn't, um, take over them this past season, but Devin white going into the future and this, Upcoming season specifically, I think his stock is um, rising and rising rapidly. Um, him and Levante David, we already mentioned a ton of times, are great, great duo together in um, Tampa. So number six is Levante David for me. 
Yeah, a lot I of mean, the older Devil players. Devil 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 Devil. There you go. Oh. Oh, like a lot of the older players on my list, I think they've already built up a solid resume, but I think those younger players, like with Devin White and my next player, Roquan Smith, I think they're just building up their resume. And Ro- Roquan Smith is coming off of a second straight all-pro season. He's on the second team, but he's still been putting up phenomenal numbers. He's put up a combined a 193 solo tackles the past two years, 98 and 95 uh, individually. So he's been great there. He kind of has taken over as the face of that defense with Khalil Mack now being gone. It's really up to him now to be able to hold down that defense. They've got some other solid pieces around him, but he really is the face. So it's really interesting to see how the Bears defense develops in this upcoming season just because I think without Mac, they won't really have the bite that really scared a lot of people about the Bears over the previous couple of years. They're kind of an underrated team going into this year with Justin Fields at the helm. But like I mentioned, Roquan Smith still relatively young into his career. He's 24, similar to Devin White. And even though I'm giving Roquan Smith a little bit of credit just because he had a better year this past year, I think these two players are very comparable, very young very explosive in what they're able to do on the defensive side of the ball. And they play for two teams that if their defense, if they're going to win games, their defense needs to be key in contributing. So I have Roquan Smith at number six. Good take there. So I'll jump into my number six and then my number five. So number six for me, this one I had higher. I have Levante David at six. It's, for me, it was a toss-up between David and Devin White and then Kendricks in the middle. I love both White and David so much in the roles that they play in Tampa Bay, and I feel like they're sort of similar in a sense, but with the experience and the amount of consistency that Levante David provides to that linebacking core, I value that more over Devin White. I can certainly see, though, in the near future, Devin White taking over that spot over Levante David because of how young he is and how much potential he has. Um, But Levante David, ever since like 2015, has continued this trend of just being so so consistent at playing at a high level for Tampa Bay. So I have him at six. And then at five, I have Demario Davis. Um, Sort of coming off of a down year from New Orleans last year, but still playing at that high level and playing at that high value that the New Orleans linebacking court needs him to play at. It's sort of been him and Cam Jordan uh, that really have taken over the pass rush for New Orleans now that Trey Hendrickson's virtually gone now in Cincinnati. And so I think you've seen DeMario Davis's stats sort of been played around a little bit because of the mixed role he's been in and Sean Payton, now Dennis Allen's uh, coaching staff. Um, But I still think he is valued a lot in this system. So I have DeMario Davis at five. And I think – before we reach, at least in my list, a little bit of a tier list to the top four, I got to give credit to Devon, Devondre Campbell. I stuttered there. Um, Devondre Campbell coming off a of first-team All-Pro season. He was phenomenal. He was pretty much the face of the Packers' defense. They didn't have Jair Alexander. They didn't have either of the Smiths healthy for the entirety of the season. Devondre Campbell coming over from Arizona was pretty much godsend. They didn't really expect too much out of him. He's coming off a one-off season. And he did phenomenal. 102 solo tackles, two forced fumbles, two sacks on the season. He did great in a season where 
there weren't too many expectations. He was probably the fourth or fifth guy on that defense. Him and Rasul Douglas really took up some great roles, and they were one of the reasons that the Packers weren't just viewed as an offensive threat with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. No, they had a great defense as well, and Devontae Campbell sure. was pretty much along with Rasul Douglas, were I think the 1A and 1B in responsibility of making them a full Super Bowl threat. So I have him at five. Yeah, um, you guys make me feel bad for missing them off my list. Um, I don't have Demario or Devondre on my list. Um, Demario, simply due to um, age factors and just getting up there in age. Um, Devondre Campbell is tough for me because he's never really had a season like this. First team All-Pro he was, I believe. Um, linebacker. Um, I want to see if he can repeat it. Um, recapping it, he would definitely been high, much higher. He would have been on the list. Um, I, I want to see him. I think him uh, being in a new system definitely benefits. And they were able to re-sign him and Rasul Douglas both, with her, which are two huge guys. Him and Rashawn Gary were both so good. I'm angry me. Moving on to my five. Um, Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith. Uh, I teased him anywhere from the three to the five range, but I I placed him at number five. Um, he is the face of that Chicago Bears defense now with Mac out of the picture. Um, and even with Mac, he held his own, and he's always been, in my mind, um, or at least the past two, three years, a very good um, top five. Last year, I had him ranked top uh, number five. Um, I have him ranked five again. Um, just a... A solid guy. You know what you're going to get with um, Roquan in that defense. They do have Robert Quinn. Um, had a huge year last year, but um, more of a pass rusher. I see him as a Roquan Smith. Uh, zone in the middle. Roquan is my number five. Um, let me go with four. Go ahead. My number four is um, the free agent, B-Wags. Uh, Bobby Wagner still um, out there in free agency meeting with the Rams, I believe just recently. Um, he will be a very, very great pickup for any team um, who picks him up. Um, probably um, resume wise, maybe the best linebacker on this list. Um, just seeing what he did in Seattle, knowing that he probably is going to be a hall of famer. Um Bobby Wagner still just about 30, 31. So you still got a few more solid years um, of him over way over 170 combined tackles, uh, five pass deflections, um, does everything he's asked. Amazing, amazing um, in Seattle's um, system. And he will be the same exact beast with another team system. So I have B-Wags at number four. Yeah, I also have B-Wags at number four. Uh, one crazy stat to me, and this is like an Aaron Donald territory. He is eight straight years of being a pro bowler and being ranked on either the all-pro one or two team. That is insanity mm -hmm. to me. Um, I also believe that he leads the league in every like descending year in solo tackles. Like since 2014, Bobby Wagner leads. Since 2015, Bobby Wagner leads. So on and so forth. So that's unbelievable right there. Like you mentioned, he was pretty much, along with some of the other pieces, part of that Legion of Boom that was so dangerous for Seattle. So it's very interesting to see where he lands. He's in that 30 to 31 range. So he is getting up there in age, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons that I have him on the lower end of my top four. But exactly. he's still a phenomenal player. It's yep. just that the talent at the 
top three. They're younger and they're arguably more dangerous I see in the future. So I think Bobby Wagner fits in right in at four and deserves it very much so. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I actually don't have Bobby at four. Um, I have Darius Leonard at my number four spot. This is a big one that I had to think a lot about. Darius Leonard, in my mind, is still one of the top talents in the NFL. Don't get me wrong, but there are linebackers on this list that, in my personal opinion, rank a little higher than Leonard. Um, And you can see it at the bottom of your screen. I'll talk about him in a second. Leonard's coming off of a down year, right? He he only had 122 combined tackles. In 2020, he had 132. Didn't record a sack either this past year. Surprisingly, he still had four picks and recorded 12 total yards from those picks. Didn't record a down year. If you look at the stats, he had four picks, but three less sacks and 10 less combined tackles. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. It's tough. I strongly disagree. Okay. That's That's why, well, that's why, that's why it's tough to rank linebackers because you can't base them all off the same thing. You can't say he is, I'm not saying you just in general, you can't say, Oh, I have him lower because he doesn't have um, as many sacks as this guy. He doesn't have as many. That's not what I'm saying. I know. I'm just, I'm I'm just speaking in general though. Not, not you. I'm just saying in general. That's why it's tough to rank these linebackers because, um, oh, he doesn't have as many sacks as this guy. He doesn't have as many pass breakups, picks as this guy. Linebackers are asked to do so many different things, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why it's like, how do you value him versus a next guy? I'm not pointing fingers at you, um, but just in general, this is why it's like, but keep going. Darius Leonard at four. Wild. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, I think Leonard is asked for so much. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's so special. He can drop mm-hmm. back in coverage. He's able to rush at such a violent presence. And to me, Leonard is one of the top linebackers in this league. But the three guys that I have above him, I think just take it to another level. Um, so that's why I have him at four. And the number three, as you see, uh, is Bobby Wagner. Um, we already touched upon Wagner, so I'm not going to uh, talk about him much here. Um, but Wagner's just been playing at such a high level for so many years that I have to put him in my top three. Um, to me, that was a no-brainer. Um, so I have Bobby Wagner at three, and then Darius Leonard at four. Bombshell. I know. I'm sorry, Mike. No, you ain't, that's your list, dog. You stand on that. Maybe a little bit of a bombshell, but I, I might be backing up. I have Darius Leonard at three. Uh, I think that the top two players are very much – Did one... you say four? Oh, What's B-Wags that? was your four, right? B-Wags was four. I have okay. Darius Leonard okay. at three. Okay. I, have okay. Darius, I have Darius Leonard at three just because I think him – I think he's very much more com- comparable to the player I have at number one. And I probably should have uh, Darius at number two, but the player at number two intrigues me so much. I just wanted him to have, have him at high, as high as I possibly could just because he might be a unicorn at the position and we'll get into him in a second. But with Darius Leonard, let's talk about him first. He's an unbelievable player. He first entered this league and pretty much lit it on fire. He was the all-pro defensive rookie of the year. He led the league in combined tackles, solo tackles. He literally did it all. This year, he led the league in forced fumbles with eight, which is unbelievable for a linebacker 
was very much in the league lead by a lot. He did have a down season with no sacks, but a low solo tackle number. But again, when I, I think I'm valuing these top linebackers, I'm trying to look less at the stats and just what I've seen with them doing the games. And even though I would, would, um, I kind of get where Brett's coming from with a little bit of a down season, but I think it's just because the ceiling has been so high that if he doesn't hit that ceiling, it's going to be somewhat of a down season. I think he still had a phenomenal season, and I think he oh, yeah. is one of the reasons that the Colts are such a threat with mediocre quarterback play, and their offense has been iffy, minus the fact of Jonathan Taylor. He is the biggest playmaker, probably aside from JT, on that entire team, and that says something for a defensive player to be a big playmaker on any competent team. But, yeah, I give Leonard a lot of credit. He is still four straight years for an all-pro three straight years for a pro bowler. So he's still a phenomenal player at the position, just given two more players a little bit more credit, at least in my opinion. So I have it. I have him at three. Um, my number three um, is Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons. He was incredible this year, probably the best uh, pick in the first round for the Dallas Cowboys. They traded back and still got Micah Parsons, which in my opinion was, I mean, Micah Parsons, top linebacker, good pickup. I would have rather them see go corner. He is incredible. He is really incredible. Um, seeing him being able to play so many different positions from linebacker, they had him rush a passer off the edge. They had him drop into coverage, and he held his own being um, 6'3", 250, um, or whatever he is, 240, 245. Um, Micah Parsons is will be asked to do a lot more going forward in the future, especially lo- uh, losing Randy Gregory to Denver. So I think you're going to see him a lot more off the edge, especially knowing how uh, successful he was in doing so. He had one of the best pass rush uh, win rates, I believe, off the edge. Um and seeing him being able to do this in his rookie year, uh, who knows? <clears throat> who knows how um, Micah Parsons is going to be playing two, three years into the league once he gets comfortable. Micah Parsons is incredible. Um, he definitely, definitely for sure has number one linebacker potential just due to um, the small sample size. I have him at number three. Um, and that's still, it's like, should I have him over Bobby Wagner? But I mean, moving forward to the future, he is he is special. That kid is special. So Michael Parsons, as the is my great Stephen A. Smith says, the list is fluid. It's fluid, so don't feel too bad. Okay, I like that. So before we jump into number two and number one on our lists, I think it's uh, appropriate to give some of our honorable mentions the way it's laid out here. So um, I can start with my honorable mentions before I jump into two. Um, so mine were Tremaine Edmonds, um, obviously, uh, on Mike's list, Isaiah Simmons, um, and Deion Jones as well, a massive, massive season for Deion Jones. He had 137 combined tackles and two sacks, big player for the Falcons and Deion Jones. Um, and I think overall the Falcons are going to have him as a consistent on a more consistent basis moving forward. We'll see where it takes him, but. I have him here on my honorable mentions list. Um, do you guys want to give yours first or just kind of say a measure number two? I want to hear Ben's. 
Sure. So I have the new Pittsburgh Steeler, Miles Jack. This was like the weirdest thing for me, him getting released by the Jaguars. He's such a valuable player for them. And he's been arguably probably their second best player behind Josh Allen on that defense for a couple of years now. He's really yeah. been up there. I'm, I don't know why they decided to move off of him, but lucky for the Steelers, he's a phenomenal player. And then I have Deion Jones and Isaiah Simmons, two players that you, you both have mentioned, so I won't dilly-dally too, too much on them. Um, Devondre Campbell, Demario Davis, I already said I had them, and you guys had them on your list. Um, two guys I also wrote down who I wanted to note. Um, Brett knows my guy, Foya Luwakon, um, recently signed with the Jaguars, led the league in tackles this past year with Atlanta. Such and such an underrated linebacker. Um, I would have liked to see him play alongside Miles Jack. I think that would have been great for him um, being alongside a guy, um, a top linebacker. But, I mean, they released Miles Jack and they're going to have Foy run it. Uh, so that's that. And then also I want to shout out another rookie um, this past year, um, Nick Bolton, the linebacker coming in alongside uh, Such a great young linebacker duo. Nick Bolton out of Missouri was um, one of my favorite linebackers coming into the draft, and he played at such a um, high level. And I think the Chiefs have something special in uh, those two as a linebacker duo. So those are my little honorable mentions. Just shout, shouting the guys out. Uh, make sure we give as many guys as we can. Love. We'll shout them out. Well, they've been stay. shouted. All right. <laughs> Who's your number two? <clears throat> my number two is Fred Warner. San Francisco 49ers. He was my let me check. I think you I think I had him at one last year. I did. I had him as my what's what's good, Ben? Ben's wagon. You had him at one. I had him at one, yeah, last year. Um Fred Warner is a guy. Um, you know where you're gonna get, you know he's gonna be. He is the that's wild to say. I was gonna say he is the best player on that defense, but you never know because you have a guy like Nick Boat on that defense. Um, having them too is such a big strength for the 49ers um, to have um, Fred Warner, such a such a strong um, strong player, great season, and he he kind of kind of does it all too. Um, run defender, um, zones in the middle, um, does whatever he's asked honestly, and does it at a high level. Um, Why he's at my number two spot this year or moving forward. We'll say that. Very interesting there. Um, I alluded to this earlier, this player that I have at number two, Micah Parsons uh, is my number two. I think he's a unicorn at the position. And when Mike talked about him earlier as linebacker, but he's able to play in coverage, he's able to do all these different things. When we were making our edge list, I asked, is Micah Parsons an edge or is he just a true linebacker? I wasn't sure because he's able to play both. He did play both this past season for Dallas. He was unbelievable. Similar to what Darius Leonard did in his rookie season, he set such a high standard. He was defensive rookie of the year. He was second in defensive player of the year, which is phenomenal. He was pro bowler, all player, player, 13 sacks, uh, 84 combined tackles, 64 solo, three forced fumbles, all these great numbers. What does he do on the field? He is the most dangerous player on the field when he's there. And that's saying something when, like you mentioned, he's got Randy Gregory. He's got solid players all over that Dallas defense. He's got a big playmaker in the cornerback, Trayvon Diggs. But 
he is the guy on the Dallas defense. My one concern is that with Randy Gregory leaving now to the Broncos, is he going to be asked for too much? And is he going to be able to show up in the big games that Dallas has struggled to really compete in? That's really a concern when you're a top player like this. And with my number one, I know he can do that. And I've seen him do it at multiple occasions. So just because it is in his rookie season and he is set setting such a high ceiling, I don't want to set him right at number one, but I feel very confident with him at number two. Fair enough. So I will jump into my number two and then my number one immediately after. My number two is also Micah Parsons. I think we've talked about him enough here, and so I'll just touch the brief points. I think this is something seriously special in the making. You don't see a guy come in often and immediately shine as the face of your defense. I think it was a perfect situation for Dallas and Micah Parsons where Dallas was sort of looking for that franchise player on the other side of the ball. They needed someone who could really complement Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory as a pass rusher, but they also needed someone at linebacker to help Alain Vander Esch and literally, Micah Parsons comes in and checks all three boxes. I don't know what else to say negative about this kid. He knows how to rush the ball in a violent way. He can drop back in coverage and is able to make the interceptions needed. And now he's going to be the leader of this Dallas defense in 2022. So I think this is something seriously special. You don't see often a rookie defensive player in the defensive player of the year running. Um, and Micah Parsons nearly won it if it wasn't for TJ Watt. So I have Micah Parsons at two. And then number one for me, uh, we already talked about him. I have Fred Warner. Um, I love Fred Warner at this pick. I think he's been able to play at such a high level in San Francisco the last couple of years. And in the, the way that, I don't know. I'm just so lost for words when it comes to Fred Warner because he sort of came out of nowhere. You didn't really see him a lot when they made the deep run a couple of years ago. And then all of a sudden he comes in and he provides this consistent play three, four years now. And he's been a face for Robert Sala, who's now in New York. And I keep uh, blanking on his name. Um, D'Amico Ryan's. Um, the new defensive coordinator for San Francisco. And so just to round it out, just to keep it short and sweet, Fred Warner deserves this spot, um, playing at a high level and really being one of the faces of this San Francisco defense other than Nick Bosa. So number one, I have Fred Warner. Yeah, I also have Fred Warner at number one. He is the PFF darling. If you go to PFF and you check any statistical numbers about linebacker efficiency in their rating, he is usually at the top of the list when you look at the past couple of years. He's coming off a little bit of a down season, wasn't elected to the Pro Bowl, wasn't elected to uh, the All-Pro teams one or two. But the thing about Fred Warner is, and why I have him at my number one, is he really defines the playmaker of the linebacker position. He has come up in so many big situations for the San Francisco 49ers. And this is alongside a really good defense with Nick Bosa and a lot of different pieces, but he has always stuck out to me as the guy on that defense resident uh, San Francisco friend, JC seven. If you were to talk to him about shout out JC, shout out JC. If you were to talk about one of the most impactful players on that Super Bowl run and over the past couple of years on that defense, 
he is going to mention Fred Warner first. So you got to highlight there and show him the love, both JC and Fred Warner. But I don't know. Fred Warner is someone that I've seen multiple times come up in big situations in the playoffs. Even though he's coming off a down regular season, I don't really concern that too, too much. He hasn't really been this stat provider. He is much more of a playmaker. He provides it in some of the categories that you don't really check off with the numbers. And sometimes you have to kind of go with your gut on that one. And that's what I'm doing here with Fred Warner at my number one. So before you even talk, Mike, I just want to preface your number one. So you've listed Wagner. You've listed Lent. Go ahead. I figured it out. Well, okay. You know who my number one is. Really stole his thunder there, Brett, even though you knew who he was. That's well, a little that, rude. That was awkward. That That's a little rude. Awkward. Um, no, we're live. we got to keep rolling at this point. My, sorry, number one is, my number one is Darius Leonard. Um, without a doubt, he is, in my opinion, everyone's going crazy, um, the best linebacker in the game. Um, the best run defending linebacker. Uh, he drops into coverage at a high rate. Uh, one of the best among the linebackers. He is a turnover machine, as you saw with his eight forced fumbles. And if you line up him and Fred Warner, Micah, uh, B-Wags, and Eric Kendricks, all guys that play the linebacker spot at high rate, Roquan Smith, I'm still taking Darius out of all of them at this point. Um, and I'm not really regretting it. Uh, Darius Leonard... Um, in my opinion, plays the linebacker position better than anyone in the game currently, um, just due to the fact that he plays all three levels that you want a linebacker. Um, turnover machine, zoning the middle, um, being able to defend the run at a high rate and dropping into coverage, um, all near the uh, top, all at the top um, of the linebackers. I couldn't figure out what words to use there. Um, I'm taking Darius Leonard all day. Darius Leonard, number one. And what's crazy to me is Darius Leonard is, I want to say, 6'2", and he plays. He said his playing weight is like 215, 220. That's nuts. That's the biggest um, thing. Which is wild to see how he's able to um, sustain such an aggressive um, play style, being built like a, honestly, a cornerback. Um, maybe a little bigger. Maybe like a safety. Um, he is built like a safety. And when I heard that, this was last year I heard that. Um, before his previous season on a and I looked up pictures of him and I, it didn't dawn on me until I was looking at pictures. He does look, he has like a slender frame, but uh, being able to play so aggressive is honestly a wonder. And Darius Leonard is um, easily right. When I made this list, I put Darius Leonard one cause he is my um, number one, number one on the field and number one in my heart. I think he switched numbers though. Cause he posted he on right? Instagram. Shout out Joe Kingman. Um, yeah, he, he posted, let me check real quick, uh, a picture, I think, yesterday of him wearing number 10. Yeah, number 10. So huh. that'll be um, Darius switching a 10. Um, and we saw, me and BC saw the home of Darius. We did. Shout out NFL Combine. That was lit. No, don't. Shout out Darius right now. Shout out Darius. Shout out Darius. Okay. That was okay, beautiful. So- it was beautiful. So just wrapping up our lists here before we hop off for the night. Ben, your list, number 10. Or, Eric or the morning, depending on when you're listening. BC is being very um, forgetful of um, everyone listening at all times of the day. I apologize. Yes, if you're listening on the West Coast, 
Australia, wherever you may be in the world. Um, here are our lists. Eric Kendricks for Bennett, number 10. Then Levante David. Demario Davis, Devin White, Roquan Smith, Devondre Campbell, Bobby Wagner, Darius Leonard, Micah Parsons, and Fred Warner. To Mike, Isaiah Simmons, Tremaine Edmonds, Levante David, Eric Kendricks, Devin White, Roquan Smith, Bobby Wagner, Micah Parsons, Fred Warner, Darius Leonard. And then to mine, Devondre Campbell, Roquan Smith, Devin White, Eric Kendricks, Levante David, Demario Davis, Darius Leonard, Bobby Wagner, Micah Parsons, and Fred Warner. Those are our three lists at the top 10 linebacker positions. And that'll wrap it up for episode number 28 of the three. And BC, Pod. BC, what list we got going coming next week for them? I believe we have tight ends coming up next, Mike. We, um, uh, ben, we what list do we have coming up? We have the top 10 wide receivers, yes. Brad. You're going to give some love to the tight ends. Kelsey, no, Gesicki, Waller. We'll be Andrews. doing that later. You named Gesicki as your second tight end. We're going to ignore that. We'll <laughs> be doing top 10 wide receivers next week. So tune in for that because I'll be more happy to do that because I like the offense. I like the defense. So that's going to be my well, downside. That's why we're the perfect mix we're like the oil cookie a match made in heaven and brett is our special teams coordinator it honestly works out perfect though because of his love for kickers and punters that's true right he is a special teams coordinator in a way yeah right i'm gonna i'm gonna take the knife out of my heart for a second um that was that was a a little graphic for our audio (laughs) listeners we don't know what you're actually doing here look if you took the knife out of your heart you were the sole um, responsible man for putting that in there for having a kicker every single week as your as your um stand, okay? And you can't even say otherwise. You were, gonna we're say, gonna... you were gonna say a different word, weren't you, Mike? <laughs> All right. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna hop off here. Uh... <laughs> Ooh, abrupt. So abrupt. A little mad I... special teams man. <laughs> So with that, episode A little Joe Judge to him, if you will. She's <laughs> Episode 28 coming up to a wrap here on the 3 Now podcast. Make sure you follow us on all platforms. Facebook, Insta, uh, Insta. Why do I keep saying Instagram? Facebook and Twitter. Follow us on all our streaming services, on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere where you get them. Signing off for now, Brett Shobbs, Ben Pope, Mike Cicchetti. Long live Dan Carlson. Take care. Brush your hair.